a superior singer, a soldier statesman, and a simple servant, my friend Dave. I went home to give the funeral for Dave, and it's always hard to lose loved ones. We've got many of them in this congregation who have been touched by their losses. And we'll continue to grieve, and we never forget. We never forget. We should not just kind of get busy and go on with life because they're part of our lives, and so we, we acknowledge our griefs. But being with uh, Dave's family, and Dave was part of the Steak and Shake Bible study that we had for six years. Two tacos and coffee on Tuesday mornings. And uh, Dave, uh, I saw him three weeks ago, and then I got the news he was gone. Life is like that, fleeting. But life here is not the end of the road. It's like Helen or Steiner Rice says, it's a bend in the road, and we turn up. We're just kind of like getting in a helicopter when the helicopter takes off, and you go up high, and you begin to see new vistas, and you think, wow, there's so much more than just my little world, my little life, and you begin to see the cosmos opened up and you see the whole world. Well, thinking about where Dave is and going, what happens when people die, I've been thinking about with Aretha and John and, and boy, Megan McCain's uh, testimony about her father is just wonderful. If you haven't heard that on YouTube, it's awesome. So I've been sensitized again by thinking and going back into scripture, you know, sometimes what you go through in life, you you bring into the scriptures and you read the scriptures in different ways and God opens up things. I mentioned that in Ephesians 4, it's kind of a, there's lots of strange things as you go into the passage and it's hard to understand. Sometimes you need to be with a group of people to study and say, what does that verse mean? But I'm coming to the point in Ephesians 4 where we're moving into 4, 5, and 6 in terms of the application. And the important thing is, and I'm going to remind us, that you have to understand chapters 1, 2, and 3 to understand the whole vista of Ephesians. Because if you don't, you will misunderstand the Christian life entirely. And you will see what many people see, that the Christian life is a bunch of rules. Christianity is a morality. It's doing good things for good people because that's what Christians do. You're missing the entire point of what Ephesians is all about. And therefore, as you come into uh, the book today, we're going to jump right into a section that, and, and as Garland read it, it's in Ephesians 4, that it kind of felt out of place in one sense. Uh, he's talking about unity, and he's talking about walking, walking in a, our calling. But then he talks about, uh, therefore it says, he ascended on high, and he led captive a host. And that... That whole section when, when he ascended on high, I thought, this, how does this fit in? I'm going to try to explain this as quickly as I can. So our topic today is overcoming doubt, demons, and death. And no doubt you will want to uh, take some notes as you go through here, because I think there's some things that, that are going to be brand new. And so some preliminary remarks, as we think about reading the scriptures, uh, I would encourage you to camp. Spend time. And if you don't understand something, ask God that the Spirit of Christ would give you wisdom. Because that's what he does. He's a master, master teacher. So we're not interested in studying the Bible. Though we are. We want to know the author. So let the author of this living book speak to you. And as John would say, John the Baptist, the way John 
the Baptist would approach Christ, he would understand it this way, that it's not about me, it's about Christ. Christ must increase. Christ must be the one we focus on, not what Christ can do for me, but who Christ is and what he's doing. And therefore, one of the things you always hear Christ would say to all the people as he was walking around representing heaven in the full incarnation of, of deity, Christ would come down and he would give his people an invitation. And he would say, truly, truly, I say unto you, that unless a grain, the grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides by itself alone. Loneliness is never part of God's plan. Living your life independently is not part of God's plan. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So the di disciples would constantly hear this. But they, uh, they would understand that there's something that Christ was doing inside of them. And something that we need to understand that what Christ is doing inside of us is helping us to die to certain things like sin. Sin is not a word we talk about much in these days because we kind of forgot that from our vocabulary. But for Augustine and for Luther, the concept of sin was that there's something wrong on the inside, something missing on the inside. And what's wrong is that there's a bent inward that focuses on me, my needs, my rights, my opinion, my ideas, m me, me, me. And they understood it's not just the behavior that you do. It's not just the actions that you perform. It's not just the morality or the, the unethical things. There's something far greater than just the legality, the morality. There's an existence that's bent towards selfishness, self-centeredness. And so we become the center of the world. We become one that's going to be struggling with the invitation. If any man would come after me, Jesus would give that invitation. But when Jesus would say, if you do decide to follow me, if you do decide to serve me, if you do decide that that bent towards selfishness would be changed to another centeredness, my Father will honor you. Now John McCain had it right. There was a purpose beyond himself that he lived for. He knew it was not just about himself, but his cause was for American democracy. And he would fight for freedom. And every, every man in every country at the core will fight for what you really believe in, which is natural. But we're not for a cause. We're for a, a person, Christ himself. We want to identify not with an ideology, not with a morality, not with an ethical position. We are followers of one who said, follow me. And therefore, he says, if you follow me, I will honor you. Honor. Aretha got honor. Gold-plated casket, eight-hour funeral. And she got, she was, she's a queen of soul. <laughs> John got honor. You will be honored. As we are servants of Christ, as God honored his son, therefore as a son or daughter of Christ, of the Father and the Spirit, you will be honored. And therefore you don't need to look to men to be a, a, approved by men. And you don't seek the glory from men. We seek a different kind of affirmation. We seek from God. And that's why 
the memory verse of the, of the month of September, he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And that's what we're trying to do here at Chesterland Baptist Church. We are all struggling with this idea of what's, what's this relationship and faith and hope and how does it all come together to have an integrated, a comprehensive, and a compassionate view of Christ. And so, okay, now you've got this a couple times, and those of you who are visitors, you get, you get the pass. Don't worry about this. But here's your test, because I'm trying to get everybody to remember these five things of what a biblical church is. And these are the five things I will guarantee you, if you pray to the Lord and say, Lord, would you do this for me? The answer is yes, yes. Because in Christ, it's all yes. And so here are the five things. When we talk about what we want to do in, in our direction, in our focus here, these are the five things. So I got you a hint there. What's the first thing we want to do? Church? Christ-centered, yes. We want to be a Christ-centered church where Jesus Christ is elevated and honored and adored. Not just publicly here in this Sunday morning, but day by day as we live out our calling. And therefore, being Christ-centered means that your heart should, and we're, I'm praying for this, that your heart should go like this. Your heart gets bigger and bigger. That you shouldn't stay the same. Not if you're following Christ. Not if Christ is speaking to you. Not Christ is discipling. He's going to do, he's not just a static God waiting for you to get with it. No, no, he's, he's actively moving, showing you, revealing himself to you. Which is the second part. What's the second part there? Oh, how'd you guys get that? So, Revelation is about being biblical, being based on the scriptures that are the authority of the revelation of who this Christ Messiah is. And so from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from Abraham to John, we learn that God is a God to be known who wants to disclose himself and manifest himself to each of us personally and to all of us collectively because we are called the people of God. And therefore we stand not under the research, not under the social... Um, norms, we stand under a kingdom authority. And that kingdom authority is what we're going to talk about in a little bit. Let's go on. Third one? Oh, I gave it to you, didn't I? That you cheated on that. So the redemption is the fact that God has done for us that which you can't do for yourself and no one else has ever done for you in the sense that he has gone to purchase your salvation. The good news of the gospel is you don't have to live a self-centered life anymore. You can live as Christ lived with an other-centered focus that will be honoring to God and compassionate with others. A whole new way of redeeming that which is broken to restore... Oh, did I do that one? I gave it away, doggone it. That the ministry that we're in, and, and, and get this, underline it, highlight it, bold it, whatever, we are in a restorative ministry. Now, there are implications for that, which we'll get into. We'll talk about that. Lastly, it's about being in relationships. That as we here at Chesterland Baptist Church, there are lots of churches, but we want to be biblical in the sense that every single one of us is important. This is not my church. I'm not the important person here. Jesus is the head of the church. We are all focusing on Christ. And therefore, each of us have a 
place and a position and a contribution to make. But not everybody thinks that way. And so there are a lot of different things that will mislead us. And so Jesus would tell of this parable. He'd tell the parable, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the pit? The student is not above his teacher, but everyone after he's fully trained will be like their teacher. Because Jesus knew that you become like the people you run with. The guys in prison and the gangs, they run with the gangs. The guys in the Republican or the Democratic Party, they think just alike. But only in the church is there going to be a manifestation of what the kingdom people are like. And that kingdom church institution will be a people filled with the Spirit, with a way of thinking that's most not on a human level. And therefore, we know when you get into Proverbs, what the book of Proverbs is all about is giving you wisdom. And so Proverbs would say, you walk with the wise and you become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. The Brazilians have a phrase, if you run with wolves, you learn to howl. Oh. Well, overcoming doubts, demons, and death depends on who you're running with and depends on how God is working in your life. Ephesians 1, the first part we talked about two weeks ago, that you're to walk in, in, in a manner worthy, that these are qualities of Christ. If you're going to be in this relationship, the first thing is you're going to be humble. You're going to be gentle. You're going to be, you're going to be patient with people because you understand things about people that Christ understands. And therefore, you're going to tolerate and forbear when people don't live up to your expectations. And then you're going to move to preserve your relationships with all diligence. Because you know that's important. Those are kingdom values. But you move into a walking in step with the Trinity. And that's what we talked about in Sunday school. That you have this core of love that you're going to move out. The hypostasis and the exostasis that we talked about in Sunday school. Big names. Ask somebody about those. But you've got love on the move. And now, this was just last week, and so now, we're coming to the section today, is that you're going to walk in, and now you're going to walk out. And this is the key part today, because it's a strange passage. If you listen to this passage, and I, and I studied this, I thought, okay, Lord, why, why did you put this in there? Could you take the scissors and cut that out and keep reading? And there's a reason why that's in there. Because the Spirit of God supervised all of the scriptures. So I said, why did you put that in there? And look what it says. It says, this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives. And he gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except he also descended? Now get what it says, to the lower earthly regions. Now I'm going to cook your brain in a minute. You've got new neural networks coming because there's something about what this means. And what we're going to talk about is what Jesus did when he bound the strong man. When he's going into the lower parts of the earth, Jesus said, in fact, no man can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. And then he can plunder the strong man. Oh, I've been in Latin America. I was a missionary in Mexico for three years. And it's easy to see in Latin America houses because of the poverty issue that the houses have barbed wire 
on many fences and walls. And so as you walk around the neighborhood, you can't escape the fact that thieves break in all the time. And therefore, you will find construction with cement and glasses and wine bottles. They, they save those, and they put them in the cement. So if you try to climb the walls, you're going to get really torn up. But they, they have all kinds of poverty in different places of the world. So you know what they do? They, uh, they will either throw a, a moving blanket over the top of the wall and then scale the wall, because what they're trying to get into are those places that are very rich. And they know the places. And so... You, there are certain places in Colombia, women don't wear earrings because they rip their earrings off your ear. Men have zippers in the pockets. You don't understand how difficult it is to live in poverty. My friend in Dominican Republic had a dog. It was a guard dog. And when I went to see Jim and Teresa down there, uh, Jim's dog was sick. And I thought, what's wrong with your dog? He says, I... and he was torn up because he knew what that meant. What it meant was this. A thief or robber often would take hamburger and put poison in the hamburger and throw it over the fence. And the dog would get sick and die. And sure enough, that's what happened. When the dog died, uh, when the dog is gone, then the robbers come back the next day and they begin to attack. But they would have men sitting all night. Because the point is this. The thief will come in to steal, kill, and destroy. And therefore, there's a need to protect. There's a need to, to bind the strong man. Well, here's what happened. You know when Jesus was baptized. You know this story. When Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, immediately the Spirit of God came upon him. Now, what's the first thing? What's the first thing, Jack out of the box, bing, Jesus does? That's Matthew 3, Matthew 4. What's the first thing? thing that Jesus does. He goes into the wilderness. The Spirit of God led him into the wilderness. Why did he do that? Why did Jesus go into the wilderness and get this temptation test from Satan? Do you know why? Because Jesus was out to bind the strong man. And here comes the strong man to test Jesus. Jesus, if you would take this stone, you know, if, 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 if you are the Son of God, you can do anything. You don't have to go hungry. Use your resources. Be independent. Do what you know is good for you. Because if you are the Son of God, three times Satan was trying to destroy Christ to get him on his side. And so Jesus knew that this was the liar, the father of lies. And so he came to kill and destroy and so he answered with three words, it is written, it is written. That is the way you handle doubt. That is the way God handles temptation. For Jesus knows that if we lack wisdom, we go to Christ and say, Christ, I don't understand this. Give me wisdom. But notice what James says. If you lack wisdom, you're going to be open to doubt. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. And that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is, and here's the definition of doubt. Doubt is dubitare. 
Dubitare means being in two worlds. You have two focuses, two masters. You can't serve both at the same time. And so if you're, porn, uh, if you're torn apart, you don't know which way to go. And so doubt will paralyze you in your understanding because you're doing this all the time. I don't know. I've got, well, that, how, uh, and so many people are afraid of doubt. Many Christians have been told, don't doubt, because doubt will take away from faith. Let me give you the reverse. Faith will take away from doubt. So you have to understand, there's a place for doubt, but not a place for two double-mindedness. And therefore, you go back to, it is written. Because that's how you handle doubt. So if Satan was going to test Jesus in doubting who he was, if you are the son, if you are a Christian, if you are a man, if you are a woman, if you are a believer, then Satan is going to come after you. And therefore, we've got these doubts and we've got these demons. Alcoholic demons. Opioid demons. Gambling demons, relational demons, success demons. Don't be surprised at the cleverness that Satan will use to get you away from Christ. But, that's another pot of coffee. I want to go into one thing that you need to understand. And this is very, very powerful. Do you remember when Jesus hit the demons on earth? How, how the demons responded to Christ. They began to tremble. And said, who, who are you? What have you come to? What business do we have to? And they were afraid of him. Send us into the pigs. Don't, you know, have you come to destroy us? Yes. Exactly. I'm coming to destroy you. And therefore, if you understand the power of this one that would shake the cosmos of evil, He's coming in to reverse the curse. Now here's a question you may or may not know the answer to. When Jesus died on the cross, like my friend's body collapsed and there was no more air. When Jesus collapsed on the cross, his body was dead. Where did his spirit go those three days, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday? Where did Jesus go when he died? Shake your head and see if anything rattles up there. Most people confu are confused about this. But I don't want you to be confused because it's very important. Because it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives. When he ascended, it means that he had to descend. Well, where did he descend to? And the idea that when Jesus died... It says he descends into the um, lower parts of the earth. Now, imagine that when Christ had died, his body was gone, but the Spirit brought him back to life. And when Jesus was alive, he went, he went into a place not called hell. Jesus did not go to hell though we have been told by many creeds that Christ went to hell. The word in the Greek, and it's mistranslated in the English translated, 
but the NIV's got it right, New American Standard's got it right, he went into Hades. Hades is the place of the dead. Sheol is the Hebrew word for the place of the dead. Gehenna is the third place, means the place of the burning death, flesh, garbage outside of the city. And the fourth word for hell is Abaddon. It's the place for the uh, fallen angels. But it's a place for those who've been disconnected and fallen short of the glory of God. But when Jesus went in to hell, all the demons must have fled. He's in our headquarters. And he's going right up to Lucifer. And he takes away the keys of Hades. Christ went to Hades, the place of the death, death, because in the Old Testament, the unrighteous unbelievers and the unrighteous believers all were gathered in the place of Hades. And when Jesus went down into Hades, it says in Peter that he would proclaim when he was put to death in the body, but he was made alive in the spirit. And after being made alive in the spirit, Peter says, he went and he made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. Imprisoned spirits. And Christ did not go to preach the gospel. He came to proclaim, it is finished. The Messiah is doing the work. I have now come to claim that which is mine. I am the Lord of the universe. Heaven and earth are mine. And therefore, I'm taking over. And when Christ went in, to those who were disobedient long ago, God waited patiently in the days of Noah for that redemption that the Messiah would bring. And those who were dead apart from Christ, but those who had faith in Christ and the Messiah, Christ said, today you will be with me in paradise, he said to the thief. And so when Christ died that Friday, he went down to take over and bind the strong man. That's why it says... When he ascends, he took many captives. Those who were captive by death and demons and doubt, God's taking them out. Now this is very important because he would say to Peter in Matthew 16, the gates of Hades is the right translation. The gates of hell shall not prevail. That rhymes, so it's easy to remember that. But he says, when, when I'm taking out my own, Nothing can stop me. Death won't stop me. Demons won't stop me. Disease or doubt, no matter what it is, because he says in Revelation, I am the living one. I was dead, but I am alive forevermore. And I hold, get this, I hold the keys of death and I hold the keys of Hades. Lucifer, Satan, is not Lord of Hades. Lucifer is not Lord of hell. Jesus Christ is. He is the Lord of all. And therefore, all evil, demonic angels, fallen or, or not fallen, all understand Christ is Lord. This one, this one you've been baptized into, who's moving us out of any imprisonment, You've got to get this. When he came in there, he took those believers. And now when a believer dies, he does not go into the place of death of 
Hades, he goes into paradise. And we know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord in his presence. And he's watching over us. That's why when Jesus says, I tell you that you, Peter, and on this rock I will build the church and the gates of Hades will not stop me. And therefore, out comes Christ. And when he came, comes forth in the resurrection, he brings this powerful life of the kingdom. And he gives to Peter and the disciples the keys of the kingdom. He has the keys of Hades. He has the keys of death. But the keys of the kingdoms are the gifts that he gives to us, as well as other gifts as he comes out like a conquering warrior. This is Christ. Now let me tell you what this means. You have the keys of the kingdom. No drug, no alcoholic addiction, no dark desires, no doubt should rule your life. Christ will redeem and restore in any relationship. If this is true, you have in your power the message of the gospel that will set every person on opioid free. Not without a struggle, not being simplistic here, but every conflict, everything that is wrong, that is bent towards self-serving, Christ can heal and does restore. And that's what you've got to understand. If you're going to walk in a manner worthy and you're going to walk with this Father who's going to be the Trinitarian power of love to move you out, you've got to understand that it's not just strength and power because you're strong, individual, and confident, whatever. It's no... This is the power that's in the cosmic forces that is out to destroy. Run over any wall you got to get you to doubt, to get you to fear, to get you to feel shame. Christ wants all that removed for us. Isn't that good news? He is alive. And therefore, if there is something wrong, we've got to go to Christ. Because only Christ has the keys to set us free. Psychology doesn't. Counseling doesn't. Medicine doesn't. It would just keep us bound up in the heart of the flesh. That's powerful. And you've got to understand that's inserted right in the middle of this passage before he talks about being unified in the body of Christ, being growing up in Christ. Brothers, sisters, this is your inheritance in Christ. And therefore, as we move into the next several months, you want to see Christ at work delivering healing, restoring, ministering, changing, transforming, sanctifying. There's some other words. But God is on the move because God does not want you in darkness. God does not want you defeated and God does not want you to follow two masters, only one. Follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. That's exciting because when I go into prison, I sat across from a rapist. I sat across from a child molester. I sat across from guys who are in gangs. And I say to them, I've got good news. I've got great news. Satan has taken your soul and Christ has brought it back. If you follow him, you can be delivered. You can be forgiven. You can be changed. So I'm going to give you that good news because that's also your good news. You are forgiven. You are loved. You are accepted. And God wants you well. Not only on this life, but in the life to come. My friend Dave, 73 years old, lived 26,725 days. 
and he stepped into eternity of glory. That's yours. That's mine. That's coming. In between that time, we walk in a manner worthy, and we walk out of the kingdom of darkness, and we walk in the kingdom of light. Yeah, hallelujah. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. So let's pray and prepare. And I want to say to you, those five things, Christ-centered, that we are moving in revelation, that we're moving with redemptive spirit, we're moving in a sense of restoration. We want men and women restored off of these temptations that are destroying people. But we move in a relational way because we love people, because Christ loved us. Let's pray. Lord, take these words, make them a reality, I pray. Lift us up to understand all that you do for us because we just know so little. It just feels like uh, this is it's too wonderful, it's too high. And yet, Lord, that's who you are. So I pray, Father, for each one here that's struggling, fighting battles that we don't see, that you want to deliver us from. Build your church because you love her. Build each one of us because you know our battles. And so, Lord, help us overcome any doubt, any demon, and the death when it comes. And we pray this for our growth, but we pray it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.